Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. What is going on, everybody? Welcome in to another edition of the Nosebleeds Podcast here on this Tuesday, April 26th of 2022. And Alex Wolves behind the glass. I'm going to need you to do me a big favor. I'm going to need you to hit some music for me. Go right ahead. What a time to be a fan of the New York Metropolitans. I had to play this song because they are the hottest team in baseball, and this is how I want to start this edition of Nosebleeds. 13-5, first place in the NL East. Alex, you can cut the music. It's all good. I had to get a little hype going here. And at the at this time, we are recording this episode. We are coming off an improbable 5-2 to two comeback victory over the Cardinals last night for the Mets. So, so happy, so thrilled for my New York Metropolitans as a Mets fan. I'm sure Mets fans everywhere are thrilled with this team. Buck Walter, the, the entire roster, just absolutely fantastic. We are, of course, going to do a deep dive into the Mets in just a little bit. We will also be talking, of course, about the New York Yankees, who have quietly Right at the ship here, sitting at 10-6. and six. They're entering a series against the Orioles. And also, right before we started today's podcast, the letter, that much-discussed letter that's been talked about, uh, frankly, I don't know, what for the past year or so, about what's coming out, this, this, this letter the Yankees have been trying to keep from being released. It had to deal with some sign-stealing allegations. Well, guess what? It's finally out, and it details certain activities that the Yankees undertook in 2016 and 2017, the same time frame that the Astros were cheating. Some very interesting details to get into there. So we got a lot to cover in today's show, and here to do it with me this week are Sam Davis and Danny Scott. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Go ahead, Sam. Oh, okay. Thank you, Danny. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, appreciate being on, uh, on Nosebleeds. It's my first time since being remote here in Ireland, being far away, but super excited to talk some baseball, talk the Mets. Mike, you're rocking the feeble shirt there. I, am. I had to bring that up. Well, Obviously, I I could have I could have worn them. Yeah, I could have worn a more positive Mets shirt, but honestly, this was on top of my drawer today, so I was like, I'll just put this one on. I don't really okay, care. that's fair. I was gonna say I wasn't sure. Like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh no, no, the no, way no, no, they're no. Playing just, right now. But, no, I I okay. could I could have I could have worn something better. That is a good point. Okay. Well, I, mean, I wasn't trying to I wasn't trying to knock what you're wearing. I'm I, I was just a little confused because of how great the Mets are playing mm-hmm. right now. We'll get into it. It's it's an exciting team to talk about. And, uh, you know, the Yankees on the other side of things, you know, certainly a very interesting conversation we'll have on the cheating and all that stuff. But, Danny, how you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, as a West Coast native, fan of the San Francisco Giants, we're kind of rolling right now. Um, only kind of blimp on our radar was that loss, that three three out of four loss to the Mets. Um, but coming off a little sweep of the Nats, a come-from-behind win last night against the Brewers, um, everything's going good in my world right now as far as baseball goes, that's for sure. Uh, well, Danny, everything's going well in your world. As I said already, everything is going well in my baseball world. So let's get started with the orange and blue, because I think the Yankees are a bit more nuanced, so we'll get to them in just a little bit. But like I said before, the New York Metropolitans are 13-5, first place in the NL East, the best record in baseball. Like I said already, 
an improbable 5-2 win last night at the time of this recording. They were down 2-0, top of the ninth in St. Louis, down to their final strike. They managed through a couple miraculous plays, an error by Nolan Arenado, Dom Smith, beating out a ground ball, or really a kind of a hot liner, um, you know, to get to first base. They tie the game, and then Brandon Nimmo, a home run to give him a couple more runs, and then boom, a 5-2 Mets win. Diaz coming in for the save. Absolutely fantastic. And, of course, look, the Mets, they've won every series they've played so far this year. They have yet to have a sweep, which, of course, you'd like to see that. You know, 13-5, and five, you're not going to complain about that, though. And quite honestly, they could be even better than 13-5. and five. But there's just so many great things about this team, whether you want to talk about the starting pitching, you want to talk about that that lineup, you know, offensively has been fantastic. How about the management of Buck Sherwalter? What a difference a manager can make. You know what, Danny, let's start with you. I know you covered the Mets game a few days ago or about a week ago, Giants series. That's the one game the Mets did lose in that series. But as we look at the New York Mets, what do you think is the biggest positive right now for this team? I think we talked a little bit about it before the show, and it's just the depth of the entire roster. The hitting is so much deeper than it was. Um, it's so much deeper this year than it was last year in the pitching side. And you brought up a really funny point that I'm going to steal from you right now. <laughs> you bring you bring in a guy like Max Scherzer, and he's your Jacob Degrom insurance. Uh, you last year with the starting rotation, you know, a lot of guys going down, and you don't have the depth. This year, this Mets roster is just up and down, probably the most complete in baseball, maybe outside of the Dodgers. Um, but this this roster is just so deep, and they have so many guys that can do it to you in so many different ways. And that's probably got to be the big, biggest and best thing that I'm seeing out of this Mets squad right now. Yeah, and Sam, look, you know, you covered this Mets team. And frankly, what was, I know they started off hot last year, but I think most Mets fans would agree, last season was frankly, at times, especially in the second half, an unmitigated disaster. So I know you're over in Ireland. I don't really know how much Mets baseball you're having a chance to watch. I'm sure. Oh, I'm folk- watching a lot. Oh, you are? Okay, I'm all right. I'm watching a lot. So yes. let's, let's get your thoughts on this Mets team right now. Yeah, no, I'm Danny bringing up the depth. I think it's huge. That's something, you know, that's been talked about a lot with this group. But it, it, it needs to be stressed. It's incredibly important because last year we saw the Mets get hit with the injury bug pretty hard. Um, it seems to always happen with the Mets. I mean, uh, Mike, you correct me. me if I'm wrong, but yeah, it just feels like this team <laughs> no, is just cursed at times no, with the amount of injuries that exactly. they have to overcome. And God for, you know, obviously don't even want to talk about that right now with how well they're playing. You don't even want to put that in the air, but God forbid something happens in terms of injuries. We've already seen it with the Grom and, you know, we'll see what happens for the rest of the way, but the ability of the pitching staff to go seven deep, the starting rotation, I think is incredibly impressive. I mean, this, this, you know, you, you mentioned Scherzer, who's obviously had two incredible starts back-to-back now. Carrasco was even good in his, in his last start. You got you know, Peterson, you know, in the back end of the starting rotation that, you know, and Tyler McGill has been incredibly impressive, you know, picking up right where he left off last year. Just how deep this pitching staff is, you know, really needs to be emphasized even more that they can survive missing the best pitcher on the planet and really not even not miss a beat right now with how well that they're pitching and the lineup. You know, I think uh, last year this Mets offense was terrible at times. You know, you said disaster. <laughs> they they were uh, they were horrible. I mean, it was very frustrating to watch them, especially especially with with two outs, with runners in scoring position. Last year, you know, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I know from the eye test and I know from watching them plenty last year they were not a good team. You know, in the clutch, they were not a good offensive group um, with two outs or with runners in scoring position. Definitely not. This year, it's been really the opposite. With two outs, they've been finding a way to keep rallies alive. We saw it last night, down to their last strike. 
finding a way just to just scrap a couple runs together and all of a sudden they have a 5-2 lead and win the game. That's happened a number of times. And I think that shows just the difference in offensive mentality, the difference in the way that this lineup is constructed with, you know, of course, Lindor playing a lot better. And, and you also have Marte, which is huge. Escobar, Canna, you just keep going down the list with their additions. But overall, I think, you know, the depth and uh, the, the clutch hitting that they've shown, I think a lot of that is a, a credit to Buck and, and, and what he's been able to bring, you know, so far to this group. I think it completely changes the outlook of this team. And to me, it's, you know, I'm, I know, Mike, you know, I think you can speak on this better than anyone being such a big fan. You don't want to, you know, there's a Met, there's a sense with the Mets, you don't want to get too optimistic. You don't want to get too high. You don't want to get too excited. But it's really hard not to, right? I mean, it's really hard not to be super optimistic and really excited about what the potential that this group has because it seems to be incredibly high. Yeah, look, Sam, you bring up so many great points, and I wish I could just touch on all of them. I mean, first off, <laughs> let me just talk about the optimism thing real quick. I mean, Obviously, I would say my earliest Mets memories probably go back to 2006, which is, of course, probably, you know, the Mets' best season, uh, regular season-wise, at least since, you know, 86. 2006, you know, almost 100 wins. They win the National League East. Unfortunately, they lose in the CS. And, you know, over the course of my life, you know, that team was fantastic. Obviously, I was young at the time, though. But then you look at the other years that I've been a Mets fan. And, look, 2015 was fantastic. Obviously, they get to the World Series. They, of course, lose, unfortunately. And, you know, 2016, they lose in the wild card game. So in my lifetime... We really only have three. I mean, obviously, I was alive for 2000, but I was a year old. So, you know, I only really have three kind of playoff experiences as a Mets fan, three years that are super memorable in terms of having good teams. I mean, even 2015, though, that is not a team that was super fantastic in the first half. They were about 500. It was a weaker division, and, you know, they make the trade for Cespedes, and, you know, there they go. Uh, 16 was probably the last year until this year. Uh, I know last year a little bit, but, you know, where they really had really high expectations. And so to me, you know, having expectations is not something I'm used to as a Mets fan. I'm kind of having low expectations, if you will. But this year, expectations were high. And so far, they've delivered. And, you know, like I said, there there hasn't really been a time in my Mets fandom, as I've just outlined, where I've really had a chance to be optimistic. And right now, I really am. I, you know, I have to kind of watch myself because, look, 2018, the first year of Mickey Calloway, the New York Mets go 11-1 and to get started. And, of course, Mickey Calloway, you know, first and foremost, not only was he in is a terrible person, he was a terrible manager. And, you know, that 11-1 start was a, kind of a, a fool's gold, if you will. And it just it, it wasn't indicative of the season. Now, look, this Mets team this year has gotten up to a very hot start, hot start, excuse me. But I think with the differences and the reason why if you're a Mets fan, I think it's OK to be optimistic is you look at that 2018 team, for example, or you look at last season, for example, when they were, you know, the Mets, they get off to a hot start last year. That's kind of the reason why they held on to the division lead for so long. You look at those rosters in those previous years, and you can you can just see the holes in it. I look at this roster right now, and Danny and Sam, you both mentioned it. I don't see the holes. You know, you you, you lost Michael Conforto, which honestly I don't think is a loss at all because you bring in guys like Mark Canna, Starling Marte to essentially replace him. They've been absolutely fantastic. Not since Jose Reyes had the New York Mets have had a base-stealing threat since Starling Marte. He picked up his 300th career, career steal, excuse me, last night. I mean, Eduardo Escobar, uh, you know, he's been solid with the bat. You know, obviously only 267 average, but look, the guy's working the count, getting walked, getting on base. But he's been fantastic at the hot corner. The Mets have not had a solid defensive third baseman in a long time. Francisco Lindor, let me give credit where credit is due. 
I was worried about Francisco Lindor. I did not think that this was a guy who's going to be able to handle New York. You weren't alone either. No, I, mean, and I know. There was and, a lot of people concerned, and, and rightfully so, with I, the year he had. Yeah, I, I was very concerned last season. A lot of Mets fans were. And frankly, the first series of the season, even the first couple of games, I was like, oh, God, here we go again. We got nine more years of this contract left. But guess what? This is the guy that the Mets traded for. This is the kind of all-star performance you were looking for. 294 average. The guy leads the team in home runs. He has been absolutely fantastic. How about Jeff McNeil? Back to his old ways. Had a down year last year. Uh, Gary Cohen said in a broadcast a few weeks ago that he had found his magic wand again. You know, just kind of slapping the ball around the field, finding the open hole. And guess what? He's been he's, he's been doing exactly that. So this roster, I kind of ran down part of it for you. There has been absolutely fantastic. I don't see the holes. That's why I'm so optimistic. And you know what? The, the pitching. And Sam, you mentioned this too. You know, you mentioned a guy, real quick, David Peterson. Would anyone have thought to start this season that David Peterson would actually have the best ERA in the starting staff? I mean, I definitely wouldn't have. Now, unfortunately, because of the numbers crunch and because of the Mets had a doubleheader, he's actually back down in AAA now, But although it seems like he might come up again for another start. But he's been fantastic. Chris Bassett has been very solid, kind of a shaky outing against the Giants last time around, but he's been great. Carlos Carrasco looks like a different man. This is the guy that pitched in Cleveland. First Mets starter to go to the eighth inning all season long. Tyler, this is the guy that he's the guy that yeah. you thought they were getting. You exactly. know, he, he's the guy that they that the Mets expected to get, and we didn't see it all last year. And I think that was a huge, you know, getting that start out of him showed. Okay, this is what he can be to this group going forward. Sorry to cut you off. No, 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 it's perfect, and obviously it's a little more difficult with the conversation because you know you're on Zoom and whatever. But a little behind <laughs> the scenes for our audience. No, but Carrasco. Look, I think the thing last year was you know he started off with the hamstring injury, and then as we found out in the off season, he had you know some loose bodies removed from the elbow, and to me. He's obviously fully healthy because it's night and day. He's been fantastic. And, you know, Tyler McGill, you mentioned, just an absolute stud. Has filled in fantastic, you know, a great addition in the in place of DeGrom. I think people were kind of sleeping on Tyler. He's had a great start to last season. And I think really what happened in the second half was, look, the guy was coming from double A. He had never pitched that many innings in a season in his life. He obviously got tired. Well, guess what? He's got the endurance now, and it shows. And Max Scherzer has just been as advertised. 1-8 ERA, a couple multiple um, double-digit strikeout games. You know, fantastic taking that no-hitter into the sixth against the Giants. He has just been everything that you could ask for. And, I mean, look, I could keep going. I mean, it's just there's so many guys on the Mets to praise. But, you know, as we look at uh, – that, we've talked about the players. But you know what? As we continue to talk about this Mets team, Sam, I want to hear from you. Because, look, you know, you were around the Mets a lot last year. You were around Luis Rojas. What do you think has been the biggest impact so far of Buck Sherwalter? I mean, because to me – I always view baseball managers, I think a football head coach is the type of guy that can really you know, change a team's fortune and really flip the, the, the win-loss total. I always think managers are kind of overrated, especially in today's game. Well, Buck Sherwalter is really you know, kind of shoving that narrative aside because he has shown what a difference a manager can make. Sam, your thoughts on him so far? Well, I think, I think managers in general can at times take more of a backseat in baseball than they can in other sports. Like They can be less important, but they have the opportunity to be very important. I think that's what you're seeing with Buck. And overall, the ability, you know, what I've seen, obviously I haven't had a chance to get to City Field yet. I will be later in the year uh, to really, you know, see firsthand what Buck's been able to do. But, you know, watching from afar, his ability to kind of mix and match lineups and, and just change around, you know, I, I know it's early in the year, so he's giving guys days off and stuff like that and making sure everybody gets, you know, in the lineup. But, I think that's incredibly important to get bench guys involved, like Yorme, for example, getting him starts here and there. You know, I, I think the ability to mix and match those lineups, depending on, you know, matchups and, and, and you know, starting pitching or, or whoever they're playing, you know, in a given series, I think is something that 
Rojas didn't do at times. He kind of stuck to a very similar formula, a similar lineup, which was really frustrating to watch at times because of, you know, how, how much the Mets offense was struggling. So obviously Buck has, you know, a lot more, you know, chips to play with here in terms of how deep that lineup is, like we talked about. But still, I, I think his ability um, to shift around the order and really change who's playing, who's who's hitting where each night, I think, uh, makes it, you know, really interesting. I think that's a great decision. I think that works out really well. And then another thing with Buck is, you know, uh, I think J.D. Davis talked about it and, and some of the reporters have too, the little things, you know, you know, mm-hmm. preaching and, and coaching in, in, in spring training. I know it was, you know, uh, abbreviated, but, you know, coaching and, and dealing with the little things and, and, you know, learning different rules of the game that sa- it sounds so simple, like, okay, every pro knows all the rules of baseball, but the rules of baseball can get complex and, and, and to really sit down and focus on some of these little rules and that wins you games and, and, and little stuff like that is honestly a, so overlooked. It's incredibly important. And when it comes to big games late in the year, you know, I think fully preparing your team for every individual scenario that could happen is what Buck prides himself on. And I think that could show, you know, in meaningful games later in the year that this group is prepared, you know, with those little things, with those little rules and little moments in mind that they learned back in spring training. So those two things, I think, um, have been just awesome and, and just something that Buck has really brought just a, obviously a different air to this group, a different excitement. But those two things in particular, I think, have uh, really been quite the improvement. Yeah, I mean, look, and I would say this about Buck Walter. You mentioned J.D. Davis and you mentioned the little things. And to me, nothing was bigger than that. Then how about, I think it was, was against the Diamondbacks or the Giants when, uh, I think it was the Diamondbacks. When, yeah, yeah it, was, it, was it was the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Oliver Perez was on the mound, actually. Um, Mets legend Oliver Perez, where the, the Diamondbacks were do, doing an appeal play. And Buck Sherwalter, because they preach little things, J.D. Davis just tries to steal second, not so much to actually steal the base, but to have a play happen so that the Diamondbacks actually cannot appeal. So there's no appeal available. And you know what? Not only was the, the appeal useless because it didn't matter, the Mets didn't leave early, but they got a stolen base out of it. And the Diamondbacks were so confused. And look, you know, I'm someone who's played baseball you know, for much of my life. I've watched baseball since I was little even I had never really thought about oh can you actually you know it's a live ball I never thought of that either I never thought of that that's yeah. something that I don't think anybody like the, that's what I mean like you're totally right there's so many little things in this game that you can take advantage of and that you can use to your advantage that I think he does really well yeah and to me that's the thing about Buck is I don't care you know he has his flaws you know I think early in the season some of this stuff about trying to get everyone in sometimes is to your own detriment whether that's the bullpen arms or the, the, the you know the starting lineup but the simple well, fact of the matter is that he is the type of guy, he's been around the game forever. He, he, you're never going to be worried about having a manager that doesn't know all the rules, doesn't know all the inside and outs. You're never going to be worried about having a manager that's not, you're never going to lose a game because Buck doesn't know what he's doing. And I think the problem with the Mets for so long has been you've had managers, whether it was Luis Rojas, Mickey Callaway, and look, I love Terry Collins. Terry Collins took the New York Mets to a World Series. He took them to the playoffs in back-to-back years. It's only happened one other time in Mets history. That being said, Terry at times, you know, he got outsmarted. Buck Walter, as he's shown so far, is not a manager who I think is ever going to get outsmarted. And I think that's just one of the biggest, you know, most positive things I can say about him. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And it's it's the fact that he's been around the game for so long. Um, and I've seen directly through my own eyes the effect that getting a manager that kind of knows what they're doing can do on a squad. And with Kapler going to the Giants, I don't want to— I don't want to cut you off, Danny, but I just want to say real quick— uh, yeah. 
Gabe Kapler, talk about a guy, obviously, I saw him a lot with the Phillies. The fact that this guy, I'm not even, it's not even a joke, has become one of the best managers in baseball. A guy who I thought didn't know, you know, his blank from his elbow a few years ago. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic, but go ahead. Dude. But but just going going along with that, and you know, it's a little bit different style of play between the Giants and the Mets. The yeah, Giants very, are a lot more analytical yeah. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you bring in a guy that knows how to manage players, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen, and I was actually at that uh, Diamondbacks-Mets game covering it for, for WFUV when Davis sent a steal, and you know, he gave a lot of credit to Buck in that situation, and I think that's one of the biggest things with managers in today's game is you know maybe they're not necessarily like like Sam mentioned they're not as big of a deal as maybe a football coach or even a basketball coach but it it's the small little decision making that really comes into play and it's who you're going to go to in the pen and who you're going to steal in this certain situation and we've seen a couple blimps on the radar with the Mets so far this year but for the most part uh, like you mentioned it's been a lot better over this year than it has probably for the past decade yeah, and look, uh, I just uh, Buck to me is probably uh, you could put the the lineup is fantastic, the starting rotation has been fantastic, but to me the biggest difference and the most positive difference has been Buck. And to me, like I said, recent memory, but honestly, I'll go back my entire life. Whether you want to go back to Jerry Manuel or Willie Randolph too, in my lifetime, Buck Walter and you know success is one thing. There have been other Mets managers, obviously Buck's barely been here that have had great success. But I can already tell you right now, I honestly feel it's only I know it's only been 18 games. I think Buckshire Walter is probably the, the smartest, you know, most competent manager the Mets have had probably in my lifetime. And I just am thrilled that we got him. And look, I'm thrilled about how this team is playing. And I, you know, I hope obviously tonight they're playing the Cardinals once again. Hopefully they can continue that momentum from the first Cardinals game. But real quick, before we kind of move on to the Yankees talk, I just want to ask. You know, last night with this incredible win, and it was just absolutely fantastic. I, I was screaming my, my lungs out. Actually, it was so bad. Chris Hennessy, our colleague, he and I were watching the game. I was screaming so loudly as they were winning, as coming back, that my RRA actually knocked on my door and actually gave us a noise complaint and asked us to keep it down. So I was very <laughs> invested in this game. But that being said, what kind of gets overlooked is the fact that, you know, the, the bullpen, you know, it was 0-0, I get it, but Trevor May comes in, and he frankly has not been sharp this year. And honestly, the crazy thing is Diaz has actually been pretty solid. I know he blew the game against Arizona, but they still won anyway. But the bullpen, to me, remains a concern with this team. So I want to ask both of you, and I'll start with Danny. You know, Danny, uh, is the is the bullpen the biggest concern for the Mets right now? And if it isn't, what is? I think it's fairly obvious that it's the biggest concern. We already talked about how great and how deep this lineup is and how great the starting pitching and how great Buck Showalter is. So that really only leaves you with one option because we know it's not Steve Cohn. Um so, it, I mean, it's obviously the bullpen. Diaz has been fine, but at the beginning of the year, this bullpen looked fine. They looked okay. and They've had they've, their ups and downs. They've had, they've had ups and downs, and I think this is a Mets team that, you know, maybe is going to be looking uh, towards that trade market during the yeah. trade deadline era. Yeah, I, I, could see, I could see a guy like that fitting great in with the Mets. He was a giant for a little while. I keep bringing up these, these giants because I'm fine. so excited about them as well. But I think it's... It, I would imagine it's fairly obvious to anyone that's watched this team in any capacity this year uh, that the bullpen is has to be the biggest issue. Yeah, Sam, what do you think? Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think that you know, plain and simple, Trevor May has been. I mean, he's not been, good. He's been. Uh, it's a toss up between Julie Rodriguez has kind of slowly turned it around a bit, but I honestly look. I think Trevor May is a good guy, but honestly, I I don't think I think Trevor May arguably has been the worst piece in the bullpen so far. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I feel like every time I look up, he is the one giving up some serious runs and like yeah. blowing the, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, that just seems like the case, which 
is obviously tough. And I think Edwin Diaz, I trust him. Uh, well, trust. I don't know. It's 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 cautious <laughs> no, but to say. I, he really honestly, trusts like him. I wouldn't even. I don't think it's but even crazy. For the crazy. most part, I do. You know, Diaz. Yeah. Diaz is a guy. I always go back to his first year here with the Mets when he blew that series in Philly. The the source of the infamous. Mike Francesa rant where he told him to take the bus and drive it back down the turnpike. Just absolute classic. But, you know, Diaz, you know, he's it's taken him a while for me to really trust him ever since he first came to the Mets. But I, I'm honestly at the point, look, I understand the other night in Arizona, but I, Diaz is probably the guy I trust the most in this bullpen right now, which honestly is kind of a concerning thing because I don't even know <laughs> if he's the type of guy that you should be trusting, Sam. But keep going. I didn't mean yeah, to yeah, no, I totally agree. I think he had a good year last year for the mm, most part, yeah. so I think that you know makes you you know trust him a little bit more. But I agree. At this point, uh, the bullpen you know needs some help. Uh, I think the deadline will – hopefully I think be uh, an opportunity to improve the bullpen in one way or another. It is for a ton of teams. And, and that's like, I think honestly, it's the easiest way to take one guy and say, okay, um, let's add him to the mix in the bullpen as almost like a quick fix, you know, on the way to, you know, hopefully October. And then with such a deep rotation, you can slide, you know, a starter to the bullpen in the playoffs potentially. I know that's looking a long way down the road, but, you know, that I think if you're going to have a problem somewhere, it's not the worst to have it in the bullpen right now. You know, I, I think the fact that the lineup is set and uh, the starting rotation is set at the moment, you know, I think that leaves them in good shape where they can add at the deadline and then maybe, you know, switch around the way the arms work in terms of, you know, playing meaningful baseball down the stretch. But I think it is the bullpen, but I think there's there's certainly plenty of opportunities to improve it down the road. Yeah, and relievers are cheap, too. Relievers are yeah. very cheap assets to acquire. Yeah. So, yeah. look, I think that definitely, I think we all agree, is the biggest concern right now. And, look, you know, the funny thing is the Mets' bullpen, I don't remember how many innings it was, but, you know, in the Giants series, they went through a pretty significant scoreless inning streak there for a second. That being said, I still don't trust them too much, and I agree with you guys. I think a deadline acquisition, I mentioned Mark Melanson. I wouldn't make him the closer if they got him, but, you know, hey, that's the type of guy, maybe get him at the trade deadline. But that's a ways away, and we got more things to talk about on this edition of nosebleeds but you know that's it for the orange and blue let's move over now to the bronx bombers so like i said before earlier on the off the top currently 10 and 6 on the year they are second place in the al east they're half game back of the blue jays for first obviously we're very early on in the season so standings aren't really that big of a concern yet they're coming off a sweep of the cleveland guardians and they are about to begin at the time of this recording a three-game set against the orioles as we sit here in the early part of the season, you know, Sam, we'll start with you, you know, Red Sox fan. You obviously, you know, have a vested interest in the Yankees' <laughs> success or failure. You know, it was all doom and gloom in the Bronx uh, to start the season. And I was very happy to see some doom and gloom because I absolutely despise the Yankees. Uh, but that being said, they kind of – Yeah, I know. Any Mets fans <laughs> – my favorite things ever is when the Mets play the Red Sox and the Yankees suck chants uh, start going on. But anyway, Yeah, it's like a, it's a weird uniting between it's a both weird, groups. It is that, a weird yeah. uniting. Uh, but anyway, yeah. I, I digress. But like I said, slow start to the season, but they've kind of quietly turned it around here, 10-6. and six, You know, a sweep of the Guardians, I get they're not world beaters – you know, the, taking the series against the Tigers, you know, again, not, not necessarily a great team. But as we sit here today and we look at the Yankees, and we'll get to the letter in a second, because the letter is kind of a thing more about the Yankees franchise and kind of about the state of baseball. But let's just talk about the current Yankees team and on-the-field stuff at the moment. You know, Sam, how are we feeling about the Yankees right now? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you bring up a good point about how they're kind of quietly playing some good baseball right now, because I think if you just go back like a couple series, you know, after Baltimore – um, 
you know, the, the, the narrative and like you said, doom and gloom around the Yankees, it, it was, you know, people were very negative about this group, especially with the off season that they had not necessarily getting better in ways that you would think they would. They didn't really get much better. Obviously they added Donaldson, but outside of that, not really a whole lot. Kiner uh, Falefa has been pretty good so far, but you know, they haven't really, you know, they didn't really make any huge strides this off season in ways that the fans expected. So early on in the year, you know, they're going to be tough on them, which the Yankees fans always are. And, you know, the things looked kind of down, but they have somewhat turned it around. I mean, they've been playing decent baseball right now. I think um, Sunday against the Guardians, I think, you know, Garrett Cole working deeper into the game is huge. I think uh, that was really important because he looked really bad to start the year to the point where it was pretty concerning because it was more than just one start. And I know it's early, but, you know, him finding a way to pitch better, work deeper into the game, I think is really big. Um, and, and the pitching with the Yankees always, you know, the starting pitching always finds a way to be really good. Um, they just find a way, you know, Nestor Cortez um, has been really, really great. He's, for he's this frankly group. been so the ace. He looks like the Cy yeah. Young of the, of the AL. Yeah. And, and that play where he's diving to first yeah. base, I mean, over the weekend, that was amazing. He has been unbelievably impressive for the Yankees overall, but they're pitching as a whole, they're starting pitching, is always just like good, even though you look at the rotation and sometimes you're like, how is this group as good as they are numbers wise, but they find a way to pitch really well night in and night out. So the pitching isn't the concern, you know, the lineup, I guess at times, you know, in our early on was struggling a little bit, but that, um, you know, kind of broke out a little bit over the weekend as well. I think, you know, their comeback victory, um, you know, minus what the horrible stuff the fans threw on the field. I mean, I don't want to get into that too much, but that yeah. was horrendous. There's really not much to say um, other than it's an absolute disgrace, and it just yeah, it ruined yeah. what was a really good win for them, a, a really important come from behind victory where the offense really clicked and, and and found their way to you know put some runs together, um, and and it ruined that. But anyway, um, I, I think the offense is starting to turn things around a little bit, starting to play better. Um, They've got Baltimore coming up, who they always lose to. Who they can't really beat <laughs> um, for some for some reason. So we'll see how they do against them because uh, apparently that is their biggest uh, their biggest concern in the division. Even though obviously they've got the Toronto Blue Jays to deal with as well, and quite a packed division. You know, I, I will say I think the Rays, you know, are there. Obviously, they're always there. The Red Sox, I think, will turn things around. Um, so overall, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the Yankees. They'll have that starting pitching, I think, to carry them along pretty well is will the lineup do enough? Um, will the lineup keep producing, uh, especially, you know, in runners and scoring position, we talked about how good the Mets have been with that. That's big with the Yankees and their offense as well. Something they struggle with at times. So I think, you know, they've wrote, they've, uh, they've righted the ship. There's always, um, a little bit of early season concern with the Yankees. It seems like every year, the last couple of years, they've gotten off to kind of a slow start and the fans have freaked out over it um, and they've figured things out. I, I, I totally believe they will continue to figure things out, but um, there are still some deeper, you know, concerns with this group in terms of contending in the division because the Blue Jays are legit. The Blue Jays are for real. And I think it's their division to lose, honestly. Yeah. I mean, look, first off, Really want to quickly wrap up because it's kind of related to something you said the the whole debacle with the, with the fans in the stands. I mean that was just an absolute disgrace. You know, uh, they, I don't care. I don't care who you are, whether it's Eagle fans throwing batteries on the field or uh, you know uh, Cleveland Bengal you know matches, Cincinnati Bengal Browns matchups where things have happened like that. It's never acceptable. And you know the Yankee fans. I don't, I don't care what 
the, the Guardians players were saying. I, I don't care what was going on. You don't throw stuff on the field, especially when it distracts from a, a great walk-off win, as much as I don't want to see a walk-off win for the Yankees. I will say it was good on the players to go out. You know, I think yeah, props. Judge and Stanton went yeah. out and said stop. You yeah. know, I think that was good. I was glad that they, yeah. they said something. Yeah, props to them. I mean, look, I, I love New York fans. I think New York fans are the best, the best fans. I love how we're gritty, hard-nosed. We want to win. We, we want to do anything to win. We, we don't take, you know, blank from anybody. I get all that. But there's a line you don't cross, and I think Yankee fans crossed it. But to me, what it also speaks to is Yankee fans are crazy. And something that you just said, <laughs> you know, they they always freak out in the beginning of the season. You know, the Yankees. Or so Mets fans. You're to Mets be fans, honest, but though, we're crazy. We're, we're crazy in different ways. You Mets fans are crazy yeah. in like the "woe is me," "oh the pain," like mm-hmm. "here it goes again," the collapse. I can't take it anymore. Whereas Yankee fans are like 27 rings, you know, blah 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 blah, all that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> the the point is. You know, the, the more arrogance thing where the Mets fans are crazy, but it's crazy in like a loathing kind of way. And that, that's the debate for a different <laughs> podcast. But the point is, uh, to your point, um, you know, Yankee fans always have crazy high expectations. So when the team doesn't start off, you know, 10 and 0, they think the sky is falling. So that being said, I do think this Yankee team is going to be a contender still. I will say, though, I'll say this. Garrett Cole, I get he had a better start last time out against the Guardians, six and two thirds, uh, no earned runs, nine strikeouts, uh, bringing his ERA down to four. He's probably about the fifth best pitcher in New York now, so uh, good for him. <laughs> um, you know, I will say this: I I don't know if anyone wants to make this a story, but hey, had, had looked like he had some substance there on, on his pants. You know, the the umpires aren't really checking the pants these days. I don't really know what's going on there. <laughs> of course, the one time he's pitching well, he keeps grabbing at the back of his leg. I don't know what to say to that. There was uh, he he came? I don't know if you guys heard the press conference about it uh, i don't i don't listen to him. he sounds like kermit the frog so. it, <laughs> it was pretty funny yeah uh his claim um is that he had a pimple on his rear oh end. yeah 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 sure sure yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> really yes. i did not hear that it wow. was yeah i think wow. i think it was a, a john boy thing that got posted and he, he claimed that he had a pimple that he kept uh, messing with yeah well he that, is a, he is a disaster in, in pr post game interview like post-game, he's gotta stop talking like, post game like pre game earlier in the year he needs to turn into yeah he was blaming billy crystal he's blaming the death star yeah. sound you know when they asked him way back last year if he used spider tack he like couldn't even yeah, like speak freaked out yeah, yeah he is terrible with the media i don't, I don't really get it yeah. uh, but that, that, he needs like media training or something yeah which <laughs> i don't get because he would have that because yeah, he's in new york he's in know? new york with the yankees i mean he comes i mean they've been tra- name a guy i mean there's so many great yankees that are great with the media but that's not the point so cole i still remain suspect of regardless of this one start you, we both mentioned Nestor Cortez he's been fantastic best ace on the staff I want to mention real quick though and Danny we'll hear your thoughts on the Yankees and then I'm going to get to the letter um, I'm still concerned about this Yankee lineup because to me look I get they managed to score four plus runs in each of the the games in the Guardians series scoring 10 in the finale and that's great at all but I mean look at look at the lineup and look at the numbers here I mean look Kyle Higashioka is batting 121 I mean Joey Gallo is is just been absolutely atrocious this year 146 you know, Giancarlo, I get you're looking for power. He's got he's only got two home runs though so far this year. He's down to two oh three. Um, I mean Connor Farlefa has been pretty solid despite a slow start. I just I don't I don't this Yankee lineup to me is still a Glaber Torres has been disappointing. I, I still remain concerned about this 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 Yankee lineup, their ability to score runs without the long ball. And to me, I, I just that's why even though the record says they're ten and six and they quietly have kind of come had a good start turn things around a bit, I still remain concerned long-term, or at least I remain concerned about this lineup. Danny, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. 
Yeah, so I mean, I've watched I've watched a lot of Yankees games just because most of my friends are Yankees fans, and they've kind of converted me into a, a little bit of a secondhand Yankees fan. You're as a much, Yankees fan at this point. As at as this yeah, point you are. As much as it yeah. pain, I mean, I'm a I'm a Giants fan. You see me wearing the Giants shirt. I'm I'm a Giants fan through and through. But it's my, like me with the Mets. It's yeah, like me with the Mets. It's, like it's my my. I'm not a Mets fan. My AL team would be the Yankees. I mean, we go to school in the Bronx. I watch a lot of Yankees baseball. I don't, I don't believe in any of that garbage. You have one team, but go ahead. Keep, yeah, keep okay. going. Keep but going. anyways, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm not super concerned with this lineup. I think the long ball will come, and that's exactly what this lineup is meant to do. I mean, a guy like Anthony Rizzo, um, who's been hot to start the year, I mean, already five home runs. Uh, you know you're going to get production out of Judge and Stanton. Stanton, a little bit quiet of a start, like you mentioned. However, he's a guy that everyone knows is going to hit 30-plus home runs a year. Um, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, he was uh, downright awful to start this year. Yeah. Um, he's kind of turned it around, I believe, nine for his last 22 over this, this week, which is uh, about as hot as you can get. Uh, DJ LeMay, who looks back this year, Donaldson, um, even though he's not like lighting the world on fire, you get a guy that's going to give you good defense. You know you're going to get some home runs and a decent batting average from him over the course of the year. And then you add that leadership role in there with a guy like Donaldson. Um, this is a team, you know, I think they're just trying to put it all together. There's some new faces around. This is Joey Gallo's first full year. Um, I'm not an Aaron Boone fan. I think he's a terrible I think, manager. I think Joey Gallo's been here enough where there's no excuses anymore, though. He's been yeah, here long enough. Maybe. No, I mean, he has. He's been here. He's been in. He's been in New York for just over half a year. I mean, look. I, I, to me, at the end of the day, you got to start it's producing too, at some point. Too, too early. I mean, look. I still think he's had plenty of opportunities. He's yeah, but I mean. Also, with, with Gallo, you get a gold glove in the outfield, though, but too. But even he's, you say he's, he's a, a gold glove in the outfield, his his defense has actually been somewhat suspect. I'm, and I, yeah, I get, it has. I get, I I get that he is a gold glover, and I he has a history of good defense. He can play all the outfield positions. He has been suspect defensively, but keep going, Daniel. Sure. Go I, yeah, no, you're good. Um, I, I don't know. I think this team is... Not not as deep as as other teams in baseball, especially not as deep as like the Mets that we've already talked about or the Dodgers. Um, but I think this team they got the names that where it doesn't like super concern me. I I would look I'd give another look back, uh, probably around the game thirty to forty mark and see how they're doing. They and also we talk about they're they're playing a little bit better. They haven't been playing world beaters though. Uh, they played the Tigers and the Guardians. Exactly. Um, and I mean in that. That Orioles series was was rough, um, but then they took two of three or two of four from the Blue Jays, two of four from the Red Sox, who or two of three from the Red Sox, excuse me. Um, so you know this team is going to be all right if they're playing 500 against the best team in their division and winning the games that they're supposed to be winning, uh, except for somehow not the Orioles uh, for whatever reason year in year out. Uh, but I, I'm not super concerned. I think this team will figure it out. Garrett Cole has been the worst pitcher on the staff, and uh, if <laughs> he he's the if he's the worst pitcher on the staff, I think they'll end up figuring it out. Yeah. Well, look, I think the Yankees. Uh, to me, it's way too, they've quietly righted the ship. I think there's some reasons for, to be optimistic. I still don't think you can get totally bought in so far. I mean, even no, with, even, even with the Mets, I mean, look, they've been fantastic. We've said it, but. It's still so early in the season. You play 162 games. You really can't really evaluate too much right now. Well, the Yan- with the I, Yankees too, it's it's the division you have to think about. That, yeah. That's what I'm, you know, long term. I just like this is a good team, but in the scheme of this organization, where they've had a number of years with this group, that you'd think, okay, this is the year that they're going to win the World Series, and they haven't been able to do it. Right? That's been continued to be pushed 
you know, further and further. And I know this is not quite a conversation for April, but still they, that, that expectation, you know, and, and this team is built to win now. They've been built to win now for a number of years and they haven't been able to do it. Now the rest of the division has gotten better alongside of them. You know, that's happened over the last couple of years. And you're seeing that I think right now, we saw it last year with how good the AL East was and we're seeing it now with how good the Blue Jays are this year. So I think in the scheme of things with this division, yes, this team is good and 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 they're going to compete, you know, they they're going to compete for a for a playoff spot for sure. But can they knock off some of the best teams in the AL and I think one of those is right in that division in Toronto. I don't know. I'm that's where I'm not sold. Uh, with this lineup that's where I'm not sold with this team as a whole to be mm-hmm. honest yeah I think I think Sam those are some really solid points and like you said that maybe not the time for that conversation right now I, yeah. I, I would say on, on a gut feeling and I said it from the first edition we did of this show this season I just don't think the Yankees have improved enough where you've had disappointing seasons the last few years I don't see really anything that's going to happen in the offseason this year that's going to mean differences in October and far as the 2022 season so I think it's going to be probably more disappointment. I don't really see Aaron Boone coming back. These are kind of bold things to be saying as you wrap up a Yankees talk, but I don't really know what else to say. But you know what? You mentioned, Sam, something, and this will be a good transition for us. You mentioned this idea that the Yankees have, uh, haven't been able to get to that World Series, haven't been able to get over the hump, and no one has really kind of talked about that more than Brian Cashman. And Brian Cashman has publicly, at least in the last few months, explained why he thinks the Yankees haven't been able to get there. And one of the big things he said, which was a stupid thing to say, which, which is, you know, you know, maybe it is the truth that the the Astros scandal was a big reason they didn't get to the the World Series in 2017. I mean, they lost to the Astros in the in the in the in the, in the ALCS. I totally get it. Uh, that being said, I think you need to always kind of look at yourself in the mirror first. But I say all that to say the Yankees have been obviously intertwined with the Astros and the cheating scandal and everything. And Brian Cashman is lauded against the Astros for depriving them of a World Series chance, like I just mentioned. And you already mentioned Yankee fans who have very vocally been. Big, big, huge critics of the Astros and their cheating scandal. And Yankee fans have been the face of the animosity that is all the hatred that is against the Astros for their cheating scandal. No one has cried a bigger foul than Yankee fans, maybe Dodger fans. But Yankee fans have been very, very adamant about how the cheating scandal ruined their season and blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? Today, as I mentioned at the top of the show, a letter that the Yankees have been keeping from being released. They've been fighting it in court, and it's finally come out. So following the Yankees, the Yankees, the Astro investigation uh, a couple years ago, um, there was also an investigation into some other teams in baseball, among them the Yankees. And a letter was written by Rob Manfred, if I'm not mistaken. Was it Rob Manfred? Yes, Rob Manfred wrote the letter. And basically it detailed an investigation into both the Yankees and the Red Sox in regards to sign stealing. And like I said, the Yankees had tried to keep this letter out of from being released because obviously they felt it might have been damaging. And well, you know what? A, judge, a bunch of judges have said no. So the letter has finally been released uh, earlier today at the time of this recording on April 26th. Uh, we had gotten a summary from Andy Martino and Jeff Passan. Uh, now we've actually seen the full letter. So basically, for those who haven't read it, and I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, if you're a baseball fan, you have. The details and the allegations that are made, well, we'll mention the Red Sox first. Basically, in terms of the Red Sox in this letter, it's really more about the Apple Watch stuff, which we already knew. That's nothing new in terms of cheating with the Red Sox. I don't really think anything in this letter is going to change how you view the Red Sox. That being said, there is some new stuff about the Yankees. Now, look, there had always been rumblings about what was in this letter and the rumblings that the Yankees had also stolen signs. Well, we now have concrete you know, proof, or you know, as this letter says, that they did. 
Apparently, and I'll try to sum it up as best as I can, in the 2016 season and 2017 season, and also during the 2015 season, uh, the New York Yankees were using uh, the replay room at Yankee Stadium. Uh, They were using cameras to pick up on the signs of opposing teams, and they were then relaying that stolen sign information to runners on base who, and this is where the letter gets a little more vague, it is not clear exactly how the stolen signs were then relayed to batters, how that was working, how the Yankees were kind of getting the advantage in terms of pitch selection and that kind of stuff. But essentially, if we had to sum it all up here, the Yankees, very much like the Astros, were using cameras to steal signs. Now, look, I get that they weren't banging on a garbage can in real time to tell you, hey, curveball's coming, boom, and then you know they can launch one out of the park. I get that. And I get the letters a little more vague. What were they really doing in-game? I know they were stealing the signs in-game, but what were they really doing with that information? So I don't think any of us can sit here right now and say that you know the Yankees are on the level of the Astros. That being said, a lot of people so far, initial reactions to this letter have said that it's a nothing burger, that it's not a big deal, that there have been rumblings about this. It is what it is. I'm sorry. And, you know, Sam and Danny, I want to hear your thoughts. This is concrete proof. And look, I'm a documented Yankee hater. And I don't really care. But I don't think this is I don't think this is absurd of me to say this is documented proof of the New York Yankees using cameras to steal signs. And I get the way that they're doing it is not as egregious as the Astros. That being said, this goes beyond simple sign-stealing techniques that have been used for 100 years in the game. You are using technology that only you have access to and your stadium to steal signs. And what makes this even more egregious is that your team, your GM, your former manager, your players have been adamant, have vilified the Astros for using cameras to steal signs. And I get that the Yankees, what they did, wasn't necessarily on the same level. But the simple fact is, you were cheating, you were using technology, and you're hip, you're hypocrites. And I just, to me, I don't think anything's really going to come of this. Obviously, the Yankees didn't win a World Series, so it's not like there's a bigger stain on the sport because of this. But the biggest thing I take out of this is, look, prove the Yankees cheated. I do think that's notable. And the even bigger thing, I think, is it just shows that they're the ultimate hypocrites. These, these, this team, this organization, and these fans who have so vilified the Astros for what they've done, when at the same time, they were cheating too. And I, I know that was a lot to take in. I'm sure it's a lot of people to digest. But Sam, what are your thoughts? Well, for fans, it, it's not hypocritical from the fans' perspective. I will defend Yankees fans, which I don't know how much I want to do. But they, did, they didn't know. I mean, they had no idea. I mean, as uh, far as they know. Fair I enough. mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. In baseball, everybody cheats. I mean, that, that's just kind of like the, the, the conclusion I'm coming to at this point. Well, if all yeah. of if, if if the Astros, the Red Sox, and the Yankees are cheating, I, I don't think they're the only ones. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, it's no fair. way. And look, and, it's only these three teams. Yeah, and, and the ones are this. just better at it. Yeah, and look, I don't want to cut you off, but I mean, look, you, just to say it real quick, baseball is a sport that is literally littered with the history of cheating. Whether built it, on you, cheating. Yes. Yeah, you want to go back to the Black Sox scandal, and you know, was it 1917, 1918, 1919? You want to go back to the Black Sox, you want to go back to amphetamines, you want to go back to steroids, you want to go back to, I mean, segregation in and of itself is a form of cheating when you don't let the best players play in games. You want to go back to the fact that free agency was outlawed and teams could, you know, stockpile on talent. This is a game, more so than any other sport, that has built its legacy off of cheating. So I don't think we should be surprised that cheating is going on. I think you're right. I just think what bothers me more than anything, and I think you make a good point, the fans... To me, there's always been rumblings about it, so that's why I'm always like, don't throw stones in glass houses. I think the bigger yeah. thing is probably with Cashman, who obviously would have known what was going on, and, or people in the organization. Yeah. I agree with that. But my biggest thing is just that it's not so much... I, I'm sure a lot of teams cheat. I'm sure other ones that we don't even know about have cheated in this way. But my bigger thing is when you are 
so vehemently, you know, let's say the Mets had cheated. Well, they aren't the team that came out and made a big deal about it. The Yankees are the team that did. And to me, that's where the issue lies. But go ahead, Sam. I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, no, no, no. And that's what I was going to say is obviously I can make an excuse for the fans at some point, you know, because, um, you know, I'm coming from the perspective of another team that cheated, you know, being a Red Sox fan. So I understand, um, you know, some sort of, you know, I understand that they were very upset with the Astros and rightfully so for, you know, what happened, obviously a little bit of jealousy there too, with the fact that they did not win the world series and um, you know, just combining all those feelings into angry emotions that Yankees and New York fans are good at showing and very easily can show. Um, So I don't, you know, fault them, but I totally agree when you have Cashman coming out and, and, you know, blaming the Astros publicly, when you have, you know, uh, just the organization, as a whole, you know, not even, not including the fans going out and saying, you know, or, or, or having this attitude against the Astros in this way is totally hypocritical. Um, when they all knew what was going on, they all knew, you know, I, I don't care who you are. If you're involved in that organization, you probably know how they were cheating, what they were doing, you know, exactly how that worked. Uh, you know, everybody did from the players to the ownership, to the, you know, uh, manager and, and, and et cetera. So that to me, you're right. It's extremely hypocritical. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't even know. It doesn't, I don't know why you would publicly go out and, and, and go against the Astros in that way so publicly to the point where you know deep down that you did the same thing or something very similar. That just blows my mind. I don't understand how you can do that, you know, publicly. So that that is definitely hypocritical. It's very frustrating, I think. Um, but ultimately, the biggest conclusion I can draw is that okay, you know, we have the Astros, we have the Red Sox, now we have the Yankees. It's it's everybody. I mean, I think people are, are, are finding new ways to cheat and, and everybody's doing it to try and get a competitive advantage. It's been, like we said, a part of baseball since baseball started. So I think, unfortunately, it's a part of the game. Not that it makes it right, not that it makes it okay, but unfortunately, it seems like that's the conclusion I've drawn. It's just, it's just fundamental and it, it, it's, it's part of this game, whether fans or whether players or anybody likes it or not mm-hmm. yeah I would I would completely agree with you Sam and <clears throat> to a certain extent uh, Brian Cashman probably came out and did all that stuff because he was trying to make himself look and look better and yeah. maybe not spark uh, investigation and they'd be able to go on with this <laughs> um, but however the one the one biggest thing is for me it's like sure like the Yankees did all this stuff but does that change anyone's opinion on the Yankees no, if you're not them. if you're not a Yankees <laughs> if you're not a Yankees fan you probably hate the Yankees so like sure it just makes some bigger villains to the rest of well I think that D- Danny sorry to cut you off but that is the biggest thing with the Astros they won the World Series you yeah know, doing this and that that's a huge that is what really I think makes people mad is the fact yeah. that not no, only did I, they do it but they won while doing it versus I the completely Yankees agree didn't get it didn't I mean, win and I just want to I just want to say something real quick to that point you know what I think also makes this more annoying with the Yankees is that Brian Cashman specifically as well as others in the Yankees organization have used the Astros cheating scandal as this is why we didn't win the World Series in 2017 and this is why we haven't been back to the World Series since 2009 and they, they have specifically laid the blame at the feet of the Astros in their cheating scandal but at the same time in the same season the same preceding years they themselves were cheating so let's say they had somehow overcome that cheating scandal and actually did win that world series well guess what you would have won a world series on the backs of cheating too like let's play it out let's say that the the astros cheating scandal didn't go all the way and the astros actually didn't win that world series and you were the champions 
and then you would have been in the spot the Astros are in right now. And to me, again, it's all this hypocrisy. But Danny, I, we've cut you off enough. Let's let's <laughs> let's hear what you got to say. No, but just saying with with the Yankees, they're they're the villains of baseball. Either way, I don't think like this really puts a tarnish on on them as much as like the like the Astros who did it and did it to an even bigger degree and won a World Series potentially because of that. Um, obviously, cheating sucks. Like you know, I I know cheating with. With Barry Bonds and you know him growing up, watching him growing up, and then not getting to the Hall of Fame this year, I had a whole big meltdown over that. Um, that I don't know if Sam was in the room for, but uh, I, I I don't think I was, but I would have loved to hear that. Oh, uh, there was there was some choice words being flown around, <laughs> um, especially since your guy David Ortiz got in. But that's you. a that's I a conversation not, for blame, a different that's day. A, that's I, a do, I do not day. blame you. I'm on your side. Well, well, totally I'm on, on side, side too. Right I'm also on that side. But but, let's, let's, but let's, cheating, you know. Like you guys have both mentioned, cheating in baseball is just something that's going to happen, and I think there's no way to really avoid it um, other than to just keep finding teams. Uh, they're going to keep doing it, and they're going to keep finding new ways. It goes back forever. And as a former, and I still play club baseball here, but as a former high school baseball player, you're always trying to poach signs off of people. Um, going it this way, I think, is a little bush league, you know, using a camera and all that stuff. Um, however, it's just part of baseball, and you're going to try to figure out signs, and you're going to try to be able to do that um, to give yourself an advantage because it's just it's how you win games. Um, but the way I understood this, um, I'm not sure if they were directly telling the batters. The uh, What I thought was that they were, like, relaying to the signs to people on second base, and they were transmitting the signs to the batter that's what i'm saying yeah but it's yeah un i'm unclear how exactly the the second baseman was the, uh, the guy in you have way. there's different ways sure like, are, so if but, you well, I guess if you have your also, palms facing towards you that's a fastball yeah. or that way that's well, a great also ball, too you got to like think mm -hmm. is who's ever who's ever the runner on second base is also a batter so at some point yeah. when he come you know well, he doesn't saying, see like, he's not gonna he's not well unless he's like a real jerk he's gonna he's not, i mean he's not gonna look down or else the pitcher's gonna throw in his head but the point is yeah that's true yeah the the point all right, and you know, I think look, we can we can talk about this forever. Yeah. You know, it's this is honestly a topic you can do an entire podcast on. But if I had to just kind of sum it all up for all of us, I think the main thing is this: I don't think we're shocked that this is what the letter has said. I don't think what the Yankees did is anything worse than what the Astros did. At, at, at best, it's slightly on a lower level. That being said, it makes the Yankees and their organization specifically hypocrites of the highest level. And I just, it just, it's just, if you're a Yankee hater, it's kind of sweet. And if you're a Yankee fan, my lesson to you is don't throw stones in glass houses, especially when your team also is one that has a history of cheating with a lot of steroid players and all that kind of stuff. But again, that's just, I, I'll have to start a Yankee hater podcast to really <laughs> get all my thoughts on that. But you know what? It has been a fantastic edition of this show. I've been thrilled with the conversations that we have had. And I think that's going to do for us. On this Tuesday, April 26th edition of the Nosebleed Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You can listen to the show every week on iTunes, Spotify, WFUVsports.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Sam Davis and Danny Scott, our producer slash DJ, Alex Wolves, I'm Michael Legan. Nosebleeds is a production of WFUV Sports. <laughs>